When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, it's another edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Greg Pickle. We are doing our best to stay remotely away from each other as possible. We're nowhere near each other. That's the way I prefer it. Lots to talk about. It's going to be draft-centric. Penn State had quite a few players taken this weekend's draft. We're going to talk about the best fits, biggest surprises. We're also going to pay attention to what's going to be going on Hopefully, a year from now, Penn State should have a bigger draft class headed by Harrisburg High School's Micah Parsons and Pat Frymuth, the tight end that everyone's raving about. We did have a chance to talk this week to new Penn State offensive line coach Phil Troutwine. He was really good about giving us updates on just about all of his key guys. And we're going to close with Greg Pickle's favorite segment and my favorite segment, the Penn State Mailbag. Okay, Greg Pickle, hope you're doing well. The sun is out where I am. Let's talk a little bit about what we saw this weekend. Actually, it started on Thursday. But unfortunately, it didn't start on Thursday for Penn State. They had two players go Friday in the second round. Yitor Gross Matos, who I kind of thought was going to go in the first round, the defensive end, went to the Carolina Panthers. And then in an interesting pick, K.J. Hamler went, Greg, to the Denver Broncos in the second round. And I say interesting because in the first round, they took a gifted wideout from Alabama, Jerry Judy. They had some other players were drafted as well. Update me, Greg, if I'm wrong, but we had John Reed to the Texans in the fourth round, Cam Brown to the New York Giants in the sixth round, I believe, and Robert Windsor went to the Indianapolis Colts. Also in the sixth round, they had a bunch of guys Signed free agent deals, Greg. But let's focus on the guys who got drafted. How surprised were you that Etor went early in the second round? And what did you think about maybe fits and surprises there? So, I mean, I think when you look at the mock drafts that went into the draft uh, season, Bob, Etor Grossmodis was at one point seen as maybe a mid-round, first-round pick. Then he was slid back to the back end of the first round. And people thought that maybe Seattle would be an option. Maybe Tennessee would be an option. But when the draft really kind of turns on its head and some really talented wide receivers fell, including uh, C.C. Lamb, the Oklahoma receiver to your Dallas Cowboys, I think that really altered a lot of teams' plans because some players who I don't think many expected to be on the board when their turn came up late in the first round were, and that was probably to E towards uh, detriment, unfortunately. But the good news was he didn't fall far out of the first round. He obviously goes pretty early on day two to a former Penn State guy in Matt Rule. And the Carolina Panthers. And I really like the fit there. I don't see any reason to think that, uh, you know, Etor is any worse off. Obviously, maybe a little bit less money, of course, for going in round two. But the fit seems to make sense. I'm sure that even though Matt Rule and Etor Grossmatos played in different eras for different Penn State coaches, different Penn State teams, obviously, I think there's still a sort of mindset that a Penn State defender has. So I would imagine those two will work well together. And Etor should be a big part of a defense that now has to stop Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, and Tommy Stevens, and Jameis Winston with the, the uh, New Orleans Saints. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But um, yeah, I thought he fit nicely there, Bob. And I really liked uh, KJ Hamler with Denver. Obviously, he'll reunite there with Deshaun Hamilton, John Elway, 
whether you question his quarterback decision-making or not, Bob is obviously sold on Drew Love and sold on this idea of surrounding him with as much talent and as much weapons as possible. I think KJ fits from that perspective and also from the uh, perspective of being a return man. One note about you mentioned Matt Rule, coached at Temple and Baylor, but played at Penn State. So the Carolina Panthers used all of their picks on defensive players. I think it's that's the first time it might have happened in NFL draft history. They took a big defensive lineman. Was it, I think it was the guy from Auburn. His name was Brown. Went uh, seventh overall. Etor was taken with their second pick. Interesting to see what they do moving forward. Greg, I got a question for me I have for you is I just wonder if K.J. Hamler might force Deshaun Hamilton out in Denver. If you really look about it, they took Jerry Judy. They already have Cortland Sutton. So I would think that would make on the depth chart, that would make Hamilton at best the fourth wide out if you don't play special teams. And I don't think he does. He might have a hard time maybe sticking on the roster. We'll have to watch. I wanted to note that it finally happened, Greg. Bill O'Brien, the former Penn State coach who left after the 2013 season, has been with the Texans since 2014. Finally, a Bill O'Brien coach team took a Penn State player, John Reed, to be the slot corner in the fourth round. I think Bill O'Brien had a little bit of a history with his staff, probably was probably recruiting him before Bill O'Brien actually got there. I was not, It was nice to see that finally happen. I don't really know about, I think Cam Brown's too big of a project and Robert Windsor's is a guy that I think is going to just be a rotation guy. Before we turn the page to next year's draft though, Greg, just your thoughts on Tommy Stevens, the former Penn State quarterback being picked in the seventh round by the New Orleans Saints who already have Taysom Hill. I thought that was a really interesting pick because, I mean, obviously Sean Payton's going to keep the best players, but I thought it was an odd pick to have a Taysom Hill type player picked when you already have Taysom Hill on your team. Yeah, it made positively no sense, Bob. And I regrettably have not been able to go search out the uh, New Orleans media contingent to see what they've written about why Sean Payton made that pick. Obviously, much like the absurdity that was Jalen Hurts being drafted by the Eagles in the second round, there's clearly a plan in place. Now, you know, the Eagles doing that is something that a lot of people can't wrap their head around. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But with Tommy Stevens, you know, if you're going to take a flyer on a guy in the seventh round and hope that maybe he'll play some special teams for you, maybe he can do a couple of different things for you, maybe he lines up in, you know, an H-back setting or something like that, I guess the hope would be that all of the different things he does add up to enough usage to make that pick worthwhile. And if not, then, you know, Tommy Stevens will just be the latest seventh round pick to not make an NFL roster. He certainly won't be the first, certainly won't be the last. But I must say it was stunning to me that he was picked and Juwan Johnson was not. I really thought that the end of Juwan Johnson's career at Oregon was really the culmination of something that a lot of us thought would happen during his time at Penn State. It never really worked out that way, but he was tremendous down the stretch, and the Saints ended up signing him too. So maybe Sean Payton just likes ex-Penn State players who ended their career elsewhere. I don't know, but I'll be fascinated to see if Juwan can stick. He certainly has had an NFL caliber body and skill set since the uh, Daisy was in high school, really, and now it's starting to translate towards the end of his college career. So we'll see how that works out. And I'm right there with you on John Reed. Bill O'Brien, I believe, had him at campus and on camp at Fort Camp, either in the summer of 2012, I believe it probably was, or the summer of 20. I guess it would have had to have been the summer of 2012. So there's a lot of connection in history between those two. You know, Bill didn't take Christian Hackenberg. We thought that could be possible. He didn't take any Penn State player, as you note, prior to John Reed and. 
He gets a very cerebral player who I think obviously never seemed quite like the same guy after the knee injury that cost him the 2017 season. But when he was good, there were a few better. And I think Bill O'Brien obviously believes that he and this Houston Texans staff can get things going in the right direction with John Reed. Not that they weren't already, but more so. And I won't be shocked at all to see him absolutely not only make that roster, but be a special teams guy at worst and probably, a, a you know, maybe a nickel corner at best in this rookie year. Okay, so let's turn our attention to 2021. Cleveland will be hosting the NFL draft. I've been to Cleveland downtown. It's a lot of fun. I have a funny feeling that once hopefully everything clears medically, maybe you and I will both be in Cleveland for this draft. The reason I say that is I think that Micah Parsons is, if he's healthy, is close to a lock to be a first round pick next year. And I think Pat Fryermuth for what he can do as an all-around tight end, should he choose to leave, and he really should. I think he's going to be right there with him in the first-round conversation, Greg. Anyway, so what I was saying is Micah Parsons in next year's draft, the 2021 draft, the Harrisburg High kid, I think is a lock to be a first-round pick. If he's healthy, I think he can write in Pat Fryermuth as a legit first-round candidate as well if he opts to come out at Penn State after his third year, and he, I think he should. I think he's ready. But Greg, you were, I believe you were 10 years old the last time Penn State had multiple players go in the first round of a draft. It was 2003. I remember it well. I know you don't. Jimmy Kennedy, Michael Haynes, two defensive linemen, Larry Johnson coming off that 2,000-yard season as a running back, also Brian Johnson, a really talented wideout, all went in the first round of the 2003 draft. Greg, your thoughts on Micah Parsons and Pat Farmy both being potential first-round picks if they're healthy. And also, when you look at the rest of the, the potential PSU draftees next year, I think it's going to be a pretty big class. Yeah, no doubt. Sorry for that little audio blip there. I got attacked by an autoplay ad while looking up Sean Payton's Tommy Stevens quotes. But it does turn out that he thinks that he can play in the kicking game. He can kind of be a jack of all trades. And that's why they used a the seventh round pick on him. So that answers that question. Moving forward, as you mentioned, I think that everyone from Mel Kuyper to the guys at 247 Sports to CBS Sports Draft Analyst Sporting News, you know, everyone throws out their 2021 mock draft immediately after the 2020 draft ends. And, you know, if you go back and look at the ones from last year, Etor was a guy who was probably rated a little bit higher than he ended up being. So I think you have to take him with a grain of salt. But I don't want to make it sound like a slight against Etor, but I do think that Micah Parsons is obviously a little bit on a higher pedestal at this point when it comes to what his future can be and what his outlook is going into his junior year. And I think the same is true for Pat Fryermuth. So there were a lot of folks who were saying that if Pat had used that weird uh, exception that made him eligible to come out as a sophomore, that he probably would have went over Notre Dame's Cole Komet, who was the first tight end pick this year. So what does that tell you? It means he almost certainly is going to top the board next year. And then when you look at Micah, I mean, he has top five first round pick, first one at Penn State since Saquon Barkley written all over him. I mean, every year you get teams at the top of the draft board. If they don't need a quarterback, they need a star on defense. And he obviously has all the makings of a star on defense as he continues to progress in Brent Price defense and become even more effective at a role that uh, obviously was so good that it led him to All-American honors last year. So it's going to be interesting to follow. There's no doubt about that. If, you know, gatherings can happen by this time next year, which let's all hope it's a lot sooner than that, Micah and a big Harrisburg and Penn State area a contingent will surely be in Cleveland. I would expect Pat Brian Booth and his family would be as well. And, you know, there's probably a couple other guys. You know, I look at Journey Brown, Bob, and I just think to myself, is this a guy who with a 
if he turns in a season that is similar to what he did in the Cotton Bowl, you know, on a consistent basis, who's to say he can't go late first round, early second round? You know, obviously the running back position has been devalued some in the NFL, and he probably profiles as more of a day two guy that a team doesn't use an early pick on or its first pick on, but instead picks up on the second day. But that's kind of what running backs are at this point, unless you're a Saquon Barkley. So we saw running back go at the end of the first round, the kid from LSU to Kansas City. And so Hilaire. So, you know, obviously it's possible. It's not a guarantee, but Journey Brown's another one I think you have to keep an eye on in that conversation too. Obviously we'll see about three Castro fields. You know, I think at this point, if he would have left school early, there's a decent chance he would have went maybe in the sixth or seventh round at best. He'll have a chance to improve his stock as well. And then you have the, the offensive lineman, Bob, which I know you wrote about over the weekend. Yeah, um, I would I would also say that I would not be surprised if Michael Mennett has a, has a has a really good final year at Penn State. I think he was I think he was pretty close to a top 100 player for this year's draft. He opted to come back. If he takes another step forward, you know, really, really, really good centers sometimes go late in the first round or definitely in the second round. By the time he's done at Penn State, he might be a little bit better of a pro prospect than Connor McGovern, who I think went, I believe, in the third round to the Cowboys. But he could be a second. He could be a he could be a Friday pick. You mentioned Journey Brown. I'm not sure if Rasheed Walker's going to come out. I'm not sure about P.J. Mustafer. They're both going to be, you know, guys that will be third year players. They both have really high ceilings. Shaka Tony's an interesting guy, even though he's only about 240 pounds. Tariq Castro Fields. There's some other guys, I think. That if they develop, we could be talking about come draft time, too. I'm just excited about going to Cleveland. One way or another, you're coming with me. Either you're going to be going as a fan, so if you can boo the Eagles' second-round and first-round picks, or you're going to be going as part of the Micah Pat Fryer Youth traveling party. It should be wild. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to talk a little bit about the current Penn State offensive line coach, but that not before Greg gets to all the pertinent information our listeners and viewers need to know about you know, subscribing to our podcast and also listening to our Penn State Blitz videos. You got it right, Bob. It is the Penn State Penn Live Blitz podcast. We are obviously streaming at remotely and uh, with the help of our guys in the Penn Studios throughout the stay at home order and all of that. So you can find our latest podcast every Thursday. But if you subscribe, you might get them Wednesday night, wherever you get your audio, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher or what have you. Uh, you can also find them on PennLive.com slash Penn State Blitz. And uh, please like, rate, subscribe. Let us know your feedback. Let us know what you want us to talk about. And we'll certainly tackle those topics in the coming weeks. And of course, there's the video component to this as well. And all of our old footage from past Penn State games and availabilities is available at youtube.com slash all Penn State. Bob teased it. We're looking ahead a little bit to the 2020 season when we come back right after this break. Okay, welcome back to the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders, Greg Pickle, remotely joining in. It's time to talk a little bit about Phil Troutwine, Penn State's new offensive line coach, replaces Matt Limegrover, comes from Boston College. Phil Troutwine, I think, is a South Jersey guy. We learned that yesterday, excuse me, that would be Tuesday on uh, on a conference call. I love the fact that we finally got everyone on the beat asking questions about specific players rather than big picture things. So we got breakdowns, Greg, from about eight different players. Was there any player or was there any comment from Phil that caught your eye, whether he was talking about a likely starter or maybe a key young guy or maybe 
a key reserve? Was, was there anything that jumped out about Phil's 20, 25 minute chat with us on Tuesday? Not particularly, Bob. I mean, I think he was very complimentary of just about everybody in his position room, which has kind of been par course with a lot of these calls. But I guess the one thing that was noteworthy to me is the thing that you jumped on, which was uh, Drew Scruggs, the offensive lineman, interior lineman from Erie, who uh, came to campus with high hopes of maybe competing way right away. And then unfortunately was in some kind of accident that caused him to miss a lot of time and be away from the team. You know, it sounds like he's back healthy and ready to go. And I don't want to compare the situation completely to Theo Johnson because Theo Johnson hurt himself at an all-star game and, and Juice Ruggs was in kind of some, some kind of pretty serious um, accident. So it's not apples to apples. But in terms of guys maybe being helped from a competitive standpoint by not having spring practice and thus they had more time to recover to be 100% for the first time, they can get on the field again. You know, I think Theo Johnson, we've talked about in past weeks, benefits from that. And I think Juice Scruggs does too. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of competition there is for those interior jobs. You know, we think Mike Miranda and CJ Thorpe are the guys that will win those guard jobs uh, pretty easily. But, you know, I think there's going to be some guys pushing them. And, uh, you know, the other thing too, Bob, was Caden Wallace. The comments about him kind of jumped out at me. We know how talented he is. The problem is he seems to be depth chart blocked at this point. So, the question will become, can he overtake Will Fries for that right tackle job by the time the 2020 season starts? I think that's going to be maybe the position that's watched most, fairly or unfairly. And I think you asked that question. Will Fries has maybe been overlooked or looked at as the weak link of this offensive line. He's going to have competition for his spot. Like I said, maybe it's not fair to you know put him in the spotlight like that, but for better or for worse, it's pretty clear that there's some guys gunning for that job and some other jobs on the offensive line. And with Phil Troutwine being a fresh face who's getting to coach these guys for the first time, you know, he has a lot of evaluation work to do once practices can begin again. Yeah. One thing Phil said about Caden, which to me, they're trying to get him on the field because you could just tell because they, they, he still said they like him a little bit as a guard. And he's just such a big body at like 6'5", 6'6". 335, 340. That's, I mean, I, you can play guard at that size, but he just, he just seems to me like he's more natural on the tackle side. He's also going to have to probably climb over Des Holmes, I think, to get on the field because I think it's the pecking order is probably Rashid and then it's Will Fries. And I think Des Holmes is probably pushing. And I know they really like Caden, but with no spring, could be tough for him to kind of hit the ground running. We'll have to wait and see. One thing before we uh, move on to the mailbag, Greg, is the presence of Phil Troutline compared to Matt Limegrover, in your mind, as a guy that covers recruiting, how, how does that impact, if at all, Penn State's chances for Warwick five-star offensive line prospect Nolan Rucci? Does, does it make any difference? I know Phil Troutline is considered maybe a pretty good recruiter, or maybe a better recruiter than Limegrover when it comes to getting top offensive linemen to come to his school. Yeah, fair question. I think that obviously Phil Troutwine can pitch the fact that he's played more recently. He's been involved in offenses like the one Penn State runs now. He's a national champion. He's recruited and developed tremendous offensive linemen in the past. I mean, he has all the things you want to sell. Bob, you mentioned the word presence. So, I mean, to answer your question, I do think that it'll help with the recruitment of Nolan Rucci. Absolutely. But ultimately, I think that's a kind of kind of kid where the head coach has to win that recruitment. You know, the position coach, the offensive coordinator, they all play a role. But let's be honest, that's James Franklin versus Clemson's Dabo Sweeney versus Wisconsin's Paul Christ. And whichever one comes out on, whichever program comes out on top, I think the head coach will have as much, if not more, to do with than the position coach does. But 
you mentioned his presence, Bob. And, you know, again, I, I liked Matt Lime Grover. I thought he was great to interact with. He was always kind with his time to us on the beat. And uh, he answered questions whether they were tough or not. But Phil Troutwine just seems to have, I don't know, you mentioned the word presence. He seems to have just a little bit more of a plan, I guess you could say. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe you'll have a better one. But I just got the sense that, you know, when we were talking in the past about Penn State's offensive line finally improving, you never really had anything to cling on to. And it just feels like Troutwine can spell out his plan a little bit better than what Matt Lime Grover did, at least to us. And if you can, you know, if you assume he can do it to us, he's obviously doing it to his guys as well. Yeah. And I think the fact that maybe Phil played at a pretty high level in college at Florida, I think he might have sniffed the NFL a little bit, maybe a little bit more relatable for for a prized recruit. We'll have to wait and see. Not that Matt Weingrover didn't do a good job when he was at Penn State. All right. All right, Greg. It's all, it's the time for your favorite segment, mine, one of my top four favorite segments on the uh, on the Blitz podcast, the, the mailbag. So what do we have from our listeners and viewers this week? Yeah, interesting week, obviously, post-NFL draft here. A lot of questions centered on the 2021 draft, which, of course, we got to before the uh, the break. But if not, you know, I think, look, Micah Parsons, Pat Frymuth, they're going to get a ton of uh, publicity and draft hype and all that, and it will be very well-deserved. But who's one more guy, either a senior or a potentially eligible to come out underclassman, Bob, that you yeah. think uh, should be getting a lot of that talk as well? You know, the, to me, a real wild card for Penn State in the 2021 draft class, because he could have, I think he could really have a big year, but he just, he's just been a mystery since he's been at Penn State. And that's Shaka Tony. He can get after the passer. He could finish most of the times he's in the backfield. I think instead of having, I think he had eight tackles for loss and six and a half sacks, he would have had close to double those numbers, Greg. He is always around the quarterback. He's a lanky player, really good first step, has shown signs of being dominant at times, you know, in the last couple of years, but hasn't ever put it all together. He's obviously not ideal from a size perspective, from a pass rusher. He's a tweener. But he can, I think he can play upright a little bit. And I just, I just wonder, you know, when the Big Ten coaches made him an all, a second team selection, I think that spoke volumes about what they really think about him potential wise and disruptive wise. And, you know, if he can ever get up to 245 pounds, Greg, and if he gets, I think he can definitely better last year's numbers. I just think he's a guy that you could see depending on the, on the team and the scheme, he might be on somebody's radar. You know, third round, I don't want to I don't want to limit him or he could slide to late in the draft. I think he's definitely going to go because he can get after the quarterback. Uh, and I, I just think that Penn State's going to have a lot of guys. Another guy, I just think that if he has a big year, we consider leaving early would be P.J. Mustafa. He hasn't really ever started at Penn State, only in a timeshare. I just think that those are two talented front four guys. And those are going to be guys when football resumes that I'm going to be watching when Penn State's on the field. No, good picks, Bob. You uh, mentioned the defensive line here. We're going to have a chance to uh, share with our readers some thoughts from John Scott Jr. at some point Thursday and into the weekend. Um, when you look at what he's walking into here at Penn State, obviously he gets Shaka Tony back, P.J. Mustafer, Antonio Shelton. But what is a bigger concern for you with Penn State's defensive line at this point? Is it the fact that a new coach hasn't had time to work on his outlook and plan and fundamentals, technique, all of that. Or is it the fact that they have a ton of talent on paper and you don't know a whole lot about what it'll actually look like on the field? I think Penn State's defensive line will hold up fine against the run. I think I think Shelton and Mustafer are two stout guys. They're going to miss Windsor, but with Micah 
back there and, you know, Brandon Smith on the field. I think Ellis Brooks has, I just think the front seven stopping the run and Lamont Wade actually in the box as a safety can help with that. But pass rush inside, I think is the question that has to be answered at Penn state. You can't have Mustafer out there on the field all the time. Antonio Shelton, I think is a run stopping guy. They don't really have a defensive end that's shown that can kick inside like they did with Etor in some obvious pass rushing situations. So who is it from the defensive tackle groups that's going to be able to generate some push in the middle? Because you got to be able to do that a little bit, especially against teams that are going to try and get the ball out quick. That's my, my big concern about Penn State's defensive line. And I think that's going to be pretty high on John Scott's to-do list. I, I don't know that they have a consistent pass rusher coming inside maybe that'll develop maybe john can do some things maybe a young player we're not really talking about right now is going to take a step forward but that that to me is a concern at this point with the season hopefully starting at some point in the fall all right bob last one for you i don't know how many listeners enjoy our voyages in the horse racing land but we're going to make one more stab at it this week just quick over under the late pick for at oakland this week the arkansas derby is going to be split into two races it's sort of the big live sporting event of the weekend in the middle of all this Will the late pick four at Oakland on Saturday pay over or under $60? <laughs> it's going to pay over. Charlton's going to win his. There's some good fields, Greg, in the, in the late pick four. And even if a chalker comes in at, you know, three to five or four to five like Charlton, I think Nadal's going to get beat. And the fields are deep. I think you're going to definitely see some prices. Greg, that's like the easiest bet I've ever made. Over $60. I would I would say it, could, it has a chance to pay even if Charlton runs as expected. I, I can't wait for that. It's closing day, I think, at Oakland. The weather's going to be nice. I know there's going to be some people on golf courses. I will not be one of those guys. I will be fixated on the Oakland card. I can't wait for it, and I know you can't wait for it either. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback, and remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.